Okay, this time I really think I'm going to get in trouble. But whatever. I'm just I'm just putting it out there. Just my thoughts. I'm just sharing. Uh, you'll see. Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversations for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Here's our host, Menachem Poznanski. Hey, Consciously family. Welcome back. Okay, here we go. So it's late in the week. For those of you who keep me keep up with me, um, I've been really, you know, grappling with this episode because once again, I feel like I'm going to say something radical a little bit, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't think I'm going to hurt anybody's feelings. But anyway, I. I want to talk about something really substantive that I see in the world that I've been thinking about for a long time, and that has been particularly troubling to a lot of people that I've talked to, and it relates to how people orient toward the role of trauma in what ultimately leads people to struggle with things like addiction or other mental health disorders. And specifically, more recently, the distress that people have because some of the real proponents of a very like heavy dose of trauma focus within the context of personal development have really kind of like sided against the Jewish people, even Jews themselves. And, you know, people who some kind of venerate as like the Rebbes of trauma are now like in a panic because the Rebbe's are saying some really dark things and, um, and it's causing a lot of distress to many of the people that I've spoken to and kind of opened the door to further thinking these things out. And, you know, the foundation stone of my issue is that at least for the Orthodox community, for the Jewish community, to some degree, we've moved away from a kind of trauma denial mindset where we really, when it came to people encountering addiction or other challenges, there was almost like a denial of the role of trauma, a shock when you would say things like 70, 80% of the people that end up with addiction experience some form of severe trauma in their childhood, many times childhood sexual trauma. You know, we moved to a place where we're kind of trauma aware, uh, and then ultimately uh, to a place of being trauma informed. But sadly, it feels like we've gone to a place where we're kind of trauma-obsessed, and I find that to be really problematic. Uh, I see it as a deep problem. It's affecting people really badly and holding them back from recovering from whatever it is they're struggling with much more fully. So before I get there, if I haven't turned you off yet, um, (laughs) I want to thank you for joining the podcast. Subscribe. Give us five stars if you like us. If you don't, leave us alone. Uh, Share us with your friends. If you think that this is the messages we talk about here are useful, please share us. Check us out on thelightreveal.org, our website. You can also check us out on social media if you like that stuff. And uh, you can check out some of the other things we're doing, most especially uh, what Joey's doing, what Ben is doing on a weekly basis, um, and uh, what Shmaya and... Shmaya and Morty are doing with their weekly podcast. Also some other great things. We're working on a Haggadah again this year, uh, which is really exciting. 
uh, and all sorts of other great stuff. If you want to keep track of what's going on, Zoe and Morty have actually put together a weekly newsletter that goes out by email. You can just sign up by subscribing your email address on the website, and uh, then you'll get the email. We don't send out a lot of emails. We're not going to send out money to raise money. We won't send out emails to raise money. Uh, just to let you know what's going on, keep you updated. Okay, so enough of that. Enough of the commercials so far. Okay, so there's kind of two issues, so to speak, that I have that I want to put forward. One is kind of practical, and the other one is kind of theoretical. Neither of them, I want to make clear, have any issue with the idea that trauma stands as a major component to what people need to overcome in order to heal and recover from whatever they're struggling with. I'm fully on board for that personally. Um, the work that I've done on an individual basis, looking at the things in my own life that were traumatic to me, for sure has helped me and helped me to become, you know, whatever, the decently, you know, functional knucklehead that I am. Um, but at the same time, when you take the idea of the role of trauma in a person's development and therefore in, in the necessity for a person to make intervention to a level where it becomes the singular point in the process, I mean, it becomes all that you're doing is looking at the trauma. Um, and then even more so when you kind of evolve into looking at how trauma is really at the root of every single aspect of who the person is and what they're struggling with, you really start to get into some problems that whether your premise is true, the trauma stands at the core of everything. There's a real problem when you start to make trauma the centerpiece of your outlook, when you're myopic about how you see things instead of seeing things, which is really what I'm being a proponent of is to see things more broadly, to see that trauma plays a significant role you know, to see that how we're, how we grow up and the families that we come from and organically and biologically and genetically what we're carrying with us, which you could orient to trauma, but I don't think you need to. And also the nature in which a person makes choices and how they choose and what the effects are of those choice, et cetera, et cetera, as well as the environment that they're in environmentally, their, their, their influences. The second piece, which I'm going to try to get to in this episode, if there's time, um, and if not, I'm going to do it at a later episode, is taking a look at why a, what I would call a trauma myopic perspective really runs contrary to the way in which Panemius Hatora, Hasidus, Panemius Hatora, Musser really looks at a person and how by fixating on a trauma, you're only covering one piece of what a human is and therefore you're not actually helping the person to develop and you're not helping them to heal because you're only you've kind of limited who they are. So it really, in some ways, I think runs contrary to those outlooks. Though obviously, you know, as my friend Joey Rosenfeld has shown, like so much of Panima Satora is about, you know, about trauma and about the role of trauma in the creation of the world and the traumatic effect of God creating the world, et cetera, et cetera, and healing and, and all those things, right? So I'm not, again, I'm not this is not a denial of the role of trauma, but just uh, a, ca a cause, a case for why we need to uh, shelter ourselves, ourselves from falling into the very human tendency to want to be able to put our finger on the one thing that's the root of anything, which 
can be very destructive. And as I talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast, really leads to really bad outcomes. So what's the, what's the utilitarian argument against the philosophy that says that trauma is not just a piece of the puzzle of pathology and healing, but instead the focus and everything? So the issue that I really see with that perspective is that looking at trauma that way essentially defines who you are, your current identity with your trauma. You become totally enmeshed with your trauma. You see, it doesn't just mean everything in your life becomes an outgrowth of the trauma that you experienced in the past because the trauma has informed who you are today. So therefore, the field of work that you've chosen, the spouse that you've chosen, everything about your life is an outgrowth of your trauma. And therefore, all of those things are expressions of your trauma. Your trauma starts to take over everything. And then this outlook really in some way makes your trauma, the trauma that you encountered, your higher power because it's what made you. It's your creator. By extension, sadly, tragically, the the perpetrator of the trauma becomes your higher power as well. Now, it's not an accident that many of the primary proponents of the nearly exclusive focus on trauma in healing are atheists and against religion, or at least deeply suspect of religion and religious people. Because A, it's in some ways a form of idol worship. It's looking at another higher power, but really it it doesn't leave space to have a relationship with a higher power because your higher power is the tragedy, the thing that oppressed you. It Now, in that journey away from that higher power paradigm, meaning in the process of healing, here's the problem. Your therapist or the medicine, right, often becomes your new higher power, meaning a lot of what you see in people that are trying to move away from trauma or to heal from trauma, to get away from their trauma, is that they become very obsessed either with the particular framework of therapy that they're utilizing, like whatever therapy they're in is the only form of therapy, it's all they can talk about, or whatever medicine they're doing. Like, and this you see very reflected in like people that utilize plant medicine and other things like that. Again, not to get too lost in that whole thing about the use of psychedelics and healing, but it's not just that they utilize psychedelics in healing, it's that psychedelics become their everything. They become enthusiastic, they become followers of that thing. They almost begin to worship that religion. And that, because that religion is really replacing this other higher power, their creator, that which created them, which is their trauma. You see, when your trauma is your higher power, what happens is, is that the virtue of life becomes being oppressed. Being oppressed actually equals virtue. And that really distorts the normal equilibrium of virtue and morality. And that part of that, part of what that, the outcome of that is what you're seeing today, where the oppressed, the person who's oppressed can do no wrong, and they're almost venerated and worshipped in society, no matter how immoral their actions are. They're, they're mora- the, the immorality of their actions become um, just totally um, ignored, Right where the morality of the uh, the perceived oppressor also becomes ignored. Right, so everyone can complain about you know how the the efforts that the IDF is making to try to protect the citizens of Gaza 
and the horrible, terrible things that the Hamas is doing to Israelis still today, still today, the, the way that they're treating their hostages and the images they're putting out, it's, it's horrible. But the morality of Hamas and the morality of the IDF, the, or the immorality of Hamas, and the morality of, the, of, Hamas, of, of, of the IDF is, is almost ignored. It's not even an issue because virtue really sides in oppression. Because again, the higher power is the trauma. The trauma is what gives somebody meaning. The higher power is either the, the thing that's taking you away from your trauma or the trauma itself. So that to me is really like the most significant, that line of thought is, this, is the first most significant issue I have with that kind of myopic perspective is that when you make trauma the centerpiece, you make trauma or the healing of trauma into your higher power, and that kind of creates a distortion in the equilibrium of virtue and morality. It makes oppression or being oppressed into a virtue. It makes you almost worship either the the healing mechanisms of trauma or the trauma itself, which then um, it, it, um, it elevates either the oppressed trauma or and subtly the perpetrator into a higher echelon of who they are. They are the creators of our reality. They are the ones who have formed our reality. They created our world. Who created the world? Those who traumatized us because we are just an extension of that trauma. Okay, so that's that's A. That's my, that's my first issue. My second issue that I have with that perspective is that the outlook that trauma is everything says that the real you, a more perfect you, is what you would have been without your trauma. And what that means is that the you that you are right now is not good. It's a deviation, a mutation that needs to be changed or at the very least is a tragedy. Not that something tragic happened to someone, to you, right? That's tragic. It's sad that something painful, life-altering occurred to you. But are you a tragedy? And if you're looking at the world through the lens of trauma being everything and the trauma being the source of everything wrong in my life and trauma being the like everything I've done is really just an outgrowth of my trauma, then I and my life are a less than ideal version of what, what is. And I'm not even myself. I'm not even who I should be. In light of this, healing, going to therapy, whatever, doing all those different things, engaging in healing process and development becomes a process of becoming less yourself, becoming not who you are right now, trying to get back to the you that you would have been without the trauma. Now, what undergirds all of this is an inherent denial that everything is exactly the way it is meant to be, that there's a higher power, this connects back to the idea of God, that there's a higher power that brought this experience about for a purpose, that what happened in your life is an essential part of your journey toward your Jewish, toward your truest self. Meaning, in the trauma, my, in the trauma myopic perspective, trauma is everything. I am not who I meant to be, and therefore who I am is a mistake, and that doesn't leave room for faith that I am exactly, I am who exactly, if taken to its extreme, I am which seeing that everything is trauma is an extreme view, then, then I am not who God wants me to be. I'm some 
imperfect reality that was created by bad choices, by the bad choices of other people, at best, because God gives free will to humans to do bad things, right? So now I'm just the result of bad human choices. It holds me back from a place of realizing that, no, what happened to me, my trauma, or the experiences that I had within the context of that particular tragedy, along with the other multitudes of things that make up who I am, are part of my journey toward my truest self. Now, this outlook holds a person back from a real relationship with God, who, let's be honest, is the source of your trauma, is the ultimate source of your trauma. God allowed you to experience that trauma. And we can only accept and forgive God for the trauma that we encounter when we see who we are is exactly who we are meant to be. As it talks about in some of the, this is a a common theme in acceptance-focused therapy and and also very much rooted in 12-step perspective, that acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. Once I can accept where I am, accept that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, that I am on this journey. Part of that journey was a trauma, but that trauma isn't who I am. It's just a piece of the puzzle towards where, where, where I'm going to go. Suddenly, I now have the ability to integrate into my thinking and awareness that there's a God, a higher power that deemed it necessary for this to occur so that I could take this journey towards whatever I'm supposed to do, as tragic and and traumatic as that is. The other outlook doesn't leave room. That's really the second thing. That's the the B's, the B. B, the perspective of, of being kind of fixated on trauma is that it really removes from you the capacity to have a true sense of acceptance because I'm stuck in a paradigm of either this or that, meaning either the trauma happened and therefore I'm an imperfect version of who I should have been, or the trauma did happen and now I'm stuck here, right? Meaning it either happened or it's not. I think I misstated that, right? On the, the alternative is, well, it's a it's a complicated tapestry. Trauma is part of that experience. My biology is part of that experience. What's intended for me is part of that experience, the purposefulness and meaningfulness of what I'm trying to do. So that's the second issue. The third issue that I have is that this outlook doesn't leave room for other parts of me to matter. All that matters is the trauma and the parts that relate to trauma. And people are complicated. People are really complicated and we have different parts and we have different aspects to ourselves. And all of me is not trauma reactions. There's even perspectives that very much embrace the idea of parts or people that embrace perspectives that are really rooted in parts work that really look at all those parts as just other extensions of trauma. It's really tragic. I don't even know if it's really what's intended by the uh, the the thought leaders of those perspectives, but it's very tragic because the person just becomes an, a, a mess, a cholent of different reactions to trauma. That's the third issue I have. The final issue I have is that the journey of healing by nature is never ending. That's the the nature of a healing and personal development process. Now, what happens when you have this myopic view of trauma, which as we said before, kind of creates a paradigm between being who I am versus who I was supposed to be, instead of 
embracing a more totality, holistic perspective, which includes more than just me, everything about me being an outgrowth of trauma, is that in that reality of healing never ending, I am then always stuck trying to get back to some fantasy version of myself that I should have been. You see, it trades the never-ending spiritual journey of self-discovery and development, which is always actualizing newer and more powerful parts of myself that are revealed within the context of my resilience to overcome challenges and my uh, the, the opportunity I take to express my strengths for a never-ending journey of trying to get away from who I am now towards some other version of me. Now, while that facilitates a lot of self-soothing, right? And you see people that are in that perspective, they're very good at taking care of themselves, perhaps too much, to be honest. It leaves people in a place where they're often coddling themselves. They get obsessed with things like microaggressions to agree that they're even like, like overtly ignoring horrible things like rape, like violent rape, at the expense of the virtue of someone's oppressiveness. And it leaves very very little, if not any room, for a sense of true self-acceptance and love and awareness that life is a really meaningful journey towards discovering the true me that was always intended. So those are like the, 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 the issues that I have. I know that what I'm describing doesn't describe everybody's perspective. And if what I said doesn't apply to you, it doesn't apply to you. But if you're paying attention enough, you'll notice that a lot of people that are that experience trauma and then are sold a sale of goods that just by fixating and focusing on your trauma, you're going to get some ultimate good, you'll find that they're oftentimes stuck in in these perspectives. They have this distorted equilibrium of morality and virtue and their trauma and the healing of that trauma becomes their higher power. They have a perspective of trying to get away from themselves. There's a, there's a certain fundamental lack of acceptance of who they are and an embrace of themselves. They talk about loving themselves, but loving themselves, as we said a minute, moment ago, really is just another expression of indulging themselves or coddling themselves. They don't really have room for the different parts of themselves. They only are able to see themselves through the lens of that trauma. And also they're on this ever-evolving journey to not be themselves, to get away from themselves because they can't stand themselves, as opposed to where people have a more balanced view where they're really a much more self-accepting and self-loving view where they're just trying to reveal more and more the true person that they were always destined to be destined through positive experiences and also through the tragedies and tragic events of life. So that's part A. That's the first part. That's the utilitarian, by utility, I think, why it doesn't work. The second part, which I guess I'll put here, I hope I can get through this, and and this is just my understanding of it. I did run it by somebody I really admire. I won't name him so he doesn't get in trouble. Um but somebody I really admire, who's a well-respected person um, in the fields of Jewish, the Jewish community and psychology and panemius. Um, so I feel like I can at least stand on something. But this is why I think a trauma-fixated approach is not really true 
according to Pneumius HaTorah. That doesn't just mean Hasidus, I'm saying Hasidus, Musser, Machshava, uh, Jewish philosophy. So the reason why I don't think it works is because the foundation stone of a pnimi, of the Pnimi way of looking at a person is that we as humans are composed of parts, not just parts that were manifest because of our experiences, but fundamental parts. And that some of those parts, we learn, are malleable, meaning some are able, are formed by our experience and by the experience of ourselves manifesting into the world, and some are fixed. Malleable parts, perhaps, could be repaired or healed by therapies, and and they could mean they could be bruised by experiences and then repaired and healed by therapies. Fixed parts, on the other hand, could not. So part of the framework of Panemius Atar is that we have these parts, some of those parts are malleable, and some of those parts are fixed. Our self, our consciousness, or the source of our consciousness, is a compound of two souls, or energy sources, or energy generators, really all of that. One soul is oriented towards material reality, and the other soul is oriented towards divine reality. <clears throat> Spirituality in this frame, in the frame of Panemius Torah, represents the meeting point between these two realities, right? the divine reality and the material reality meeting. Right where where material and divine meet, and that is where the we that we are, our consciousness, our identity, our sense of self, our sense of spirit, that's where we exist. And the meeting point, and that meeting point between divine and material, our divine soul, the soul that's oriented toward towards divine, is we learn in Pneumia Satora, is a piece, a spark of perfection, a piece of God, chelak elokami mal. Right, that's the language used in 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 Pneumius Atara. It's a spark of perfection, and this we learn is really our truest self. Meaning, if we were to strip away all the layers of externality, that of expression of self, what you would find there is this piece, this this spark of God. Our soul, that soul, has a fixed part and a malleable part. The malleable aspect of our soul is not, however, what our soul is, because as I said, our truest self is a spark of God, and that is unchanging. But, however, the way in which we encounter everything around us, the lens through which our divine soul experiences reality, is malleable, is changeable, so to speak, is shifted by the experience we have of our soul coming into this world. So we have an aspect of our spiritual self, our divine self, that's fixed, and an aspect of our divine self that's malleable. Our material self, on the other hand, is deeply affected by its surroundings. It's extremely malleable. It is, in many ways, the outgrowth of its background and upbringing, and is therefore extremely malleable by events like traumas. Our divine soul, on the other, our divine self, on the other hand, is deeply rooted in essential reality, the source of everything, God himself, existence itself. It is therefore not affected in an essential way by its surroundings, according to Panemius Satora, only by the choices we make and the good or opposite that we carry out. Even then, meaning even with that, ultimately nothing can touch the core of our divine self so deeply rooted in existence itself that it is, Therefore, the divine self is basically unmalleable, and it is responsive to what happens outside of it, but is not changed by it. Whereas, on the other hand, the material self, our 
um, the consciousness of ourself that's in the world is extremely affected, framed, developed by the experiences it has. Now, part of what we learn in Pnimiya Satora is that all of our parts operate on a paradigm of kalim and or, vessels and light. Vessels represents, represent the way in which we encounter and interact with the world around us, while the light represents the spiritual energy we manifest into the world and the people we become and evolve into as we walk the journey of life, right? So vessels represent how we engage and or represents who we are. And everything that exists operates on that paradigm of Kalim and or, meaning everything has an aspect, an external aspect of how it engages, what it does, what it's capable of, and then or kind of who it is. Now, trauma, the bad choices of others that affect us, either directly or through others who have been affected, and our own unwise choices create distortions in the relationship between our material and divine selves and create distortions in that relationship between Kalim and Or, right? If you're wondering, yes, the the system itself is a, is a system of Kalim and Or, meaning our material self is a Kali and our divine self is the Or, just like there's a, a sense, there's an aspect of our divine self that's a Kali and an aspect of our, of our, of our divine self that's that's or and the same thing is true for material and also if you're wondering yes the kalim are the things that are malleable and the or is the thing that's not changeable the light is the thing that that's not changeable now based on those things meaning the unwise choices that we make and also the the bad choices of others that affect us there can be a rupture that manifests between the divine and material self right a a, a disconnection an un ideal disconnection that manifests into much confusion like despair, depression, anxiety, and even emotional pathologies. The material self can also be deeply wounded by those external stimulus, and that also shades its interactions, observations, and experience of that spiritual realm where divine and material meet. Meaning, so you have two things here. You have the interrelationship between material self and divine self, meaning how how much they get along and see that they're on the same page and operate that way. And then you have when they're actually engaged together, which is the spiritual realm, where the, 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 the divine self, the spark of God that is us, is manifesting itself, actualizing itself externally within the material world, which is what we call spirituality. Now, healing within the context of Pneumia Satora is a process by which the relationship between the material self and the divine self is repaired. In order for this to occur, often the bruising and wounding of the material self needs to be addressed, supported, and massaged before you can really heal the divide between the material self and the divine self. That's for sure true, right? So before you can get before you can get a healthy interaction between material self and divine self, you have to oftentimes heal the, the inherent pathologies that are created by things like trauma in the material self. Our material self can be bruised, battered, and beaten, and until it's healed properly, it cannot engage with the spirit, the divine self appropriately and therefore not live as a spiritual being having a human experience. The material self heals just like the body, right? It often needs support, and often there are scars left 
when it's healing, but the healing itself really happens on its own, right? Now, the scars and the support it's need, it needs influences who the material self becomes in fulfillment of its journey towards actualization, meaning in some ways part of the foundation stone of Panemius is that what the material self experiences in its organic journey of life is part of who it was meant to be, right? Part of who it was meant to be is not just who the, how the Kali was created when it was born, but rather the, the nature in which that Kali, the material self, is, is formed through its experience in life, both experiencing positive things and experiencing painful things, and in the process of healing wounds that oftentimes leave scars that give context and depth to the Kali that is the material self. Okay, so... So having given that introduction, right, right, so that, that, that we have these different parts, one part is divine, one part is material, just to review for a moment, right, we have aspects of ourselves that are malleable, aspects of ourselves that are fixed, that are not malleable, there's a part of the divine soul, right, the divine self that is fixed, the most essential part of it, and then there's an externalized part of it, how it experiences the world that's more malleable. The, the material self is much more malleable. It's very much influenced by its experience, and really the journey of life is the journey by which the material self is becoming who it was meant to be, right, in its, in its journey of life, so that it becomes the proper Kali to reveal the ore that is the divine self, right? So in order for the light to be revealed, it needs no pun intended, but definitely very useful. In order for the light to be revealed, it needs the proper Kali. If the Kali, if you don't, if you have ore without a proper Kali, what you have is what's called in, in Pneumia Satora, a Shviris HaKalim, a breaking of the vessels, and then the light is scattered into all sorts of places. So in many ways, the process of self-actualization and development is a process by which we create Kalim in order to reveal a fixed light that was always there, meaning we're revealing, we're not developing light, we're developing vessels to reveal a powerful, infinite divine light that's already there, that was there when, when we got here. Therefore, having kept that all in mind, fixating on trauma alone, myopically, does not bring about full healing in the context of Primia Satora. It only addresses the, those aspects that are the bad choices of others that affect us, either be it directly to us or through others who have been infected, again, part of the pun, not infected, but affected, and in turn influence or affect us. Even if we are able to repair that aspect, right, even if we were able to heal that part, we would have only covered one half of the needs of the material self and would have ignored completely the relationship between the material and divine self, i.e. our spiritual reality. Meaning the fixation on trauma, part of the issue there is that you're only dealing with the malleable parts of a person, which is one aspect of the material self. So that's one aspect. One aspect is that you're only dealing with part of the person. You're not really healing the person by healing the trauma. At best, you're only addressing one aspect of the person, which facilitates the ability to heal or more more effectively actualize the person as their material self is now 
assisted in healing and scarred and in a positive way because scars are a good thing because they're better than wounds, right? And now that person can engage a spiritual life, which is a the meeting point between material and divine self, but it's not everything, right? If you only fixate on that. The other issue is that fixating on trauma as an unintended outgrowth of external stimulus that makes one who they are also strips away the ability for the material self to fully heal. Meaning, even if, like we were saying before, that it's a good thing to heal the malleable parts of the of the material self by focusing on trauma, fixating on trauma doesn't actually allow the material self to heal fully. Because it says that the scars of this experience are bad. They're unideal. And by extension, the journey of our material self is essentially flawed and less valid than what it should be. This, this is deeply um, disempowering. It doesn't allow the, the material self to become who, who it's meant to be. The other, the other issue, another issue, is that fixating on trauma alone only associates the self as the vessel. Right? Part of what we've been talking about is that the kalim, the vessels, the, the frame of the material self, and even the, 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 the malleable parts of the spiritual self are the way that it experiences its external world. And therefore, if it experiences things that are painful, traumatic, traumatizing, if it experiences oppression, then it, it affects those malleable parts. But the issue is, is that looking at the trauma alone only focuses the self as a vessel that is a lens through which I experience and engage reality and not the spiritual light that which is revealed in my resilience and self-transcendence that only becomes actualized in walking through the experiences and traumas. Meaning, part of the issue here, let me just restate that, part of the issue here is that fixating on trauma means I focus on vessels. By focusing on vessels, what I do is is that I forget about the light. But that's really the point I was making before. It doesn't make space for the other parts. But more importantly, what it what it does is it takes away the opportunity for me to experience some of the greatest, most exquisite aspects of my light, which is the way in which light is revealed through my negative experiences because my negative experiences are things that I shouldn't have. They're things that I need to get rid of because they define me Right, So I have now to choose between a paradigm of my trauma being my higher power, my perpetrator being my higher power, or getting away from my trauma being my higher power. This is a rejection of that. The frame of, of, of Panemia Satora is that the process of healing is the awareness that I have walked through the journey that God has given me. That journey that God has given me, which includes painful things, oppression which shouldn't be in the perfect view of only pleasant reality that is Mashiach, redemption, where things are only pleasant, right? However, part of the frame of Gullus is the reality that good emerges in a manner that can be ex- ex- extremely unpleasant. But the function of Gullus, within the context of Pneumius Satora, the function of Gullus is to spread those sparks all, all over the world in order for the Jews to go gather those sparks. Meaning, within the context of, aside from like, uh, you know, uh, someone doing... Um, outreach to the far reaches of the world to go find people and to bring spirituality to places within myself. Part of the whole idea of finding sparks is to reveal ore that wouldn't have previously been there. If I hadn't gone through the gullus that I experienced, 
You see, there's parts of me, some of the best parts of me, that only come out through trauma. So if I look at trauma as this ultimate bad that I need to get away from, and I look at me as something that should have been, that wasn't, then I don't get to meet the real me, which is the me that's only that only is revealed through resilience. It's a me that's uneffable. It's a me that you would never have expected to occur. As we know, when you look at things like create creativity, the most creative things, the most amazing innovations are those things that you would never have been able to organically imagine. And yet, they come true. The same thing is true within us. There are parts of us that would never have been imagined. And they can only come through because of the experiences that we have. And because we... So it's not just that we have to see that who we truly are is not our material self, not the kalim and the brokenness of the kalim, which happens by the trauma. But in fact, that the kalim of trauma, the scars of our trauma, are that which reveal an ore that previously that's always been there but never would have been revealed without the particular Kaylee that my trauma manifested. So moving away from a fixation of trauma and seeing ourselves as parts, as the different parts of ourselves that are on a journey towards actualizing the way in which God wanted the particular spark of himself that he placed within me to to be to, to be expressed out into a fire and light in this material world is what allows a person to experience true contentment and happiness, true self-acceptance, true serenity. That's where you find spirituality when you acknowledge, I have a material self, I have a spiritual self, some of that's malleable, some of it's not malleable, some of it's informed by my experiences, I don't want those experiences, I don't love those experiences, there's an idea of holding accountable the people that create those experiences, for sure, That which is a different topic for a different day, but in the context of the person, the oppressed, right, to realize that this is where exactly where I'm supposed to be, and it's now it's not getting away from my trauma, getting rid of trauma. I wish I could be in a world where trauma didn't occur, but instead figuring out how could I leverage this experience to be who I am destined to be, to bring nachas ruach, to bring, to bring a sense of 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 pride in my my father in heaven in my higher power that wants me to walk this journey and reveal a light that no one else would have would have been able to reveal that i am the bearer of a unique light and then that light is the expression of my journey and that it's not that i should never have experienced trauma not at all i experienced whatever i'm supposed to experience and now the question is what am i going to do about it acceptance love forgiveness uh, self-actualization. Well, that was heavy. Okay. <laughs> if I haven't turned you off and you're not there yet, those are my thoughts. I, I really, it goes without saying that, um, I think it's a good thing that we've put a, a highlight on the role of trauma. And I think that the protection of victims and the punishment of those who perpetrate wrong, um, is vital. And I think that for far too long until still to some degree, um, we as a community uh, have done too much to protect perpetrators and not to put victims first. On the other hand, we've done a remarkable job to support victims and to help them and to hold people to account and to try to live as a community and as individuals in a way that's elevated. And I think that the idea of having compassion for those who have experienced negative things um, is is very wonderful. And everything I'm really saying is not really about anyone else's trauma. 
right? It's, I don't think we can really say what I said about anyone else's trauma, but we can only say it about our own traumas. But we have to be cautious about the way in which we encounter our own traumas so that it doesn't lead us to a place where we try to tragically be less ourselves and instead see how our journey in and through trauma is a journey towards being ourself more and more and more. Thank you for joining the Consciously family. Consciously is brought to you by The Light Revealed, a social media publisher bringing messages of Jewish spirituality and recovery to whoever is looking for them. Consciously is made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family in memory of Tsipora Bas Ravaram. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review and subscribe wherever else you get your podcasts. We love connecting with you, so please check out our website, thelightrevealed.org. Feel free to email us at thelightrevealed at tlrfamily.org. Our producer is Morty Schwartz. Our social media content team is Zoe Poznanski and Tehilo Nassanian. The assistant to the regional co-host is Shmaya Hanekman, and our music is by Eitan Katz featuring Zusha. Thank you for joining, and we wish you the most blessed day in only revealed ways.